0: It's good to be here. It's been fun, hasn't it? It's been fun so far. It's been fun overall. It's been seven weeks since we started this series, Once Upon a Time. And some of you might be thinking, seven weeks is enough. You know, we should wrap it up. Um, I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to hear from something new, from somebody new. Uh, And fair enough, you know. But what I want to tell you is that uh, this week is going to be about suffering. So I've got two more messages planned. Next week, we're going to be talking about the aftermath, which I'm calling the elixir of life. And then, uh, then the following week, we're going to talk about the credits of your movie, of your uh, story. So that's going to be fun. So we could just leave it here on the, the, the end note of suffering. But uh, what do you, I don't know, what do you think about that? It's not good, is it? Why is it not good? Because we know that's not where the story ends. You see, before we get to that other stuff, we have to talk about suffering. In every story, in every movie, at the 75% point of the story, the hero has a major setback, and they find themselves at their lowest point. All is lost. It seems like there is no way for them to carry on. They've lost all hope. And, you know, if we ended the series here and we just got someone else to preach, we know deep down that's not where the story ends. That's why you don't want the series to end now, even though you might be sick of my voice. We know. We, In fact, it's not even just that we know. We don't want to believe That the story ends at the lowest point. We know that you've got to go through the low point, but you can't end there. So we've got to do this message, but we're not going to end it here. And that's my first point for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. The low point is not the end point. Turn to the person next to you, say, the low point point. is not the end point. I'm going to stop getting you to turn to the person next to you because I realise with all this social distancing, it's just much harder. Some of you are shouting across the other side of the hall. Here's what I'm going to get you. Now you're just going to repeat after me. The low point point. is not not the end point. It's like that line in the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Everything will be all right in the end. So if it's not all right, it is not the end. And and I was thinking about, is that really true or is that some wacko movie line? And I figured, Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. Am I right? And he plans to restore us and this world to how it was meant to be. So I think it's pretty fair to say, if it's not yet restored, it's not yet the end. And so... Uh, for many of us, this year has been full of so much craziness. I know lots of you will have experienced similar, and and in your own way, this kind of craziness that all of us have been have been through. I think 2020 is probably the most hated year on record on social media by far, and we've all got our own reasons for what we've walked through. And so I think you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe in a fresh way this morning when we talk about hitting your low point and feeling like all is lost and so we're going to unpack that this morning what's really happening in that low point moment of a story how the hero reacts to that uh, why we have to go through it and also how we should respond to it here's what i want to tell you this morning darkness is not defeat say it after me darkness is not defeat you need to know that just because you have dark days it doesn't mean that you're defeated dark days don't equal defeat it's easy in a moment of your lowest point to think that it's all over you should throw in the towel you don't have what it takes and I know that for me there was a time in the first half of this year that that's where I found myself I found myself under attack on all sides and I felt totally discouraged. And I heard the voice of intimidation say, you should offer up your resignation. That would be the best thing for everybody. They would be better off without you. And luckily, there was another voice in my head that told me, Brendan, it's not all about you, all right? So, and I also had been on enough of the adventure that I realised I can't, I can't go back anymore. I've given my life into His hands, and I've got to keep pursuing Him and serving Him faithfully, even when it hurts. Because I can't go back to the way that things, the way that things were. And by the grace of God, we've got very loving and compassionate pastors. They helped restore me, and uh, they did not accept my res- resignation even though I only offered it jokingly, sort of half-heartedly. I was pretty discouraged, but they were very good to me. And now, more than ever, having walked through something difficult, my trust is in the Lord, and I can see Him working through it all. And that's the gold that we get when we've worked through and walked through suffering. And that's, in a nutshell, is the major setback for the hero. The hero will encounter some massive obstacle. And in that moment, they retreat back to their ordinary world. They retreat back to the identity that they created for themselves in the beginning of the story. They put back on their mask. They figure, well, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. What I have become is it can't be true. And and then another when they go when they go back to that ordinary world, the hero realizes i can't stay here and live a fulfilled life because they've glimpsed the life that might be. They've glimpsed the person that they're becoming. And so then another character comes alongside them, helps them to see their essence, the truth of who they are on the inside. And the hero then sets out on that final push towards the climax uh, and they set out to achieve their goal or die trying. Why would they do that? Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Walking through the low point is painful but necessary. He talks about my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Not only does that sound really painful, he's literally talking about death. He's literally talking about whoever you are, your old self, being put to death so that the new you can be raised to life in Christ. So it's necessary, it's painful, um, but it's something that we must walk through so that Christ can live in us. William Shakespeare said, there are two types of stories, tragedies and comedies. Comedies end with a wedding and tragedies end with a funeral. What are you living? Which story are you living? A comedy or a tragedy? Because lots of us think we're heading towards our ultimate death. And so our story will end in a funeral. And yet we're all, each one of us, part of a bigger story. The story of the kingdom of heaven. And how does that story end? That story ends with a wedding. A wedding of the unification of Christ and his church. We are his church and we will be unified with him when we put our faith and trust in him. And so by William Shakespeare's definition, we're all living in a comedy. And I think people get confused. I think people think they're living a tragedy because bad things happen. So it must be a tragedy. If you Google list of tragedy movies, you'll get a whole list of, a long list of movies in which tragic things happen. Like Titanic's a tragedy apparently because the boat sinks. (laughs) I'm not sure boat is the accurate word for the Titanic, the largest ship built to date at the time. But that's a mistake. To think that just because bad things happen, or sad things happen, that means it's a tragedy. Because the major setback, this moment at which the hero hits their lowest point, happens in every kind of movie. It happens in every genre, comedy, romance, thriller. The hero has to go through the low point. So just because sad things happen doesn't mean you're living in a tragedy. The definition of a tragedy, by my understanding, is nothing to do with how many sad things happen. It has everything to do with whether or not the hero is able to muster the courage to face their fears and step into living fully in their essence. If the hero is not able to do that and they return back to their ordinary world, they put back on their mask and they live in their identity of fear and of their wounds... That is a true tragedy. Anybody who says, oh, it's just a tragedy because sad things have happened, they're not recognizing that the end has not yet come. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not a once-off decision. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but, as, uh, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Who remember, Here a little pop quiz for you, Bible pop quiz. When Jesus is on the cross, what does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Yep, that's one. What else does he say? It is finished. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I remember talking to Chris Horrocks uh, about this, and we were bemusing about why would he, why would God forsake him because he is God and God's for, How is that? Why would he do that? Uh, neither of us really knew uh, the Bible particularly well at the time. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> But if I said to you, the Lord is my shepherd, what would you say next? I shall not want. It's like a hyperlink, right? When you start the psalm, you know, it's like, oh, I know what comes next. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Psalm 22, verse 1. And the whole psalm is a psalm that is about suffering about the lowest of points where King David finds himself in an ultimate low point. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? He goes on to give long complaint as to why he feels like God has totally left him. And in in actual fact, the whole psalm lays prophetic groundwork for what's happening on the cross, even to the point where he's saying that the soldiers will uh, roll dice for your clothing. This is like, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus came along. And so he's prophesying over what will happen on the cross, and also he is talking about suffering, and then and lastly, he ends the psalm with hope. He says, "I'll put my trust, nevertheless I'll put my trust in the Lord." So when Jesus is quoting this psalm on the cross, I don't think he's feeling forsaken. I think he's giving us a clue. He's giving us a clue so that people who know the Scriptures know that he knows. It may look like I'm defeated, but there is hope. And this is not defeat. This is not the end, and I'm putting my trust in God the Father. So that's helpful to know But Jesus is a bit hard to connect with because he's like, you know, he's like he doesn't have all the flaws and the fears that we have and yet we find that in Peter in the same moment because Peter probably would have known the Scriptures and picked up on that except he wasn't there. Why was he not there? Because in Peter's lowest moment, it appeared to Peter that this dark day was his defeat. This was the end. It's not the end. He thought they were defeated. And so what did he do? Like every other hero, he retreated into his identity. He puts back on the mask that he wore at the beginning. It's like every movie, Legally Blonde, she quits law school to go back home. She figures she's never been good enough from the beginning. And the Lion King, Nala, rejects Simba because he won't help the pride. So he goes and away into the forest on his own and mutters to himself, I don't need friends anyway. I don't need anybody. He's trying to tell himself, protect yourself from your fear. So Peter, in his darkest day, goes right back into his identity. When you and I encounter disappointment and hardship, you will be tempted to retreat back into your identity. And often it's in that moment that people lash out in fear and hurt the people that we actually love because we're terrified. And you'll be able to understand that as soon as you watch any movie ever because the hero gets to that point and all of a sudden this bold, new, brilliant, loving person is confronted with their fear and starts to hurt all the people that they love. Why do they do that? Because hurt people hurt people. A brilliant woman taught me. That may be true. But healed people help heal people. And so if we can walk through our adventure and become more healed on the inside, we can help others to do the same. And so Peter's true essence is that he is called to be what? What does Jesus call Peter to be at the beginning? He says, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So he's called to be a fisher of men and he's also the one who keeps acknowledging and seeing Jesus for who he really is, for the Messiah. And so he's called to be a fisher of men who sees Jesus for who he is. But Jesus is arrested, that's Peter's major setback, and he denies knowing Jesus three times. In the public sphere where he's supposed to be a fisher of men, he says, I don't even know who he is. And so in his shame and in his disappointment, he retreats back into his identity. And in John 21, after Jesus has been crucified, uh, Peter is obviously feeling discouraged. He probably feels like he's failed. He just uh, didn't have it in him. All of it was a waste of time. They must have been wrong about Jesus as the Messiah. What What does Peter do in John 21 verse 3? Simon Peter said what many men have said before when they hit their lowest point. I'm going fishing. He goes out into the boat. He's retreated back to who he was at the beginning, a fisher of fish. I'm going to go do what I know how to do. He goes out into the boat. He doesn't catch anything. So not only has he retreated to being his identity of being a fisher of fish, he's he's really committed because now he's gone back to being a bad fisher of fish who <laughs> catches no fish. He's basically a boatman. <laughs> and as they return to shore, they see a man. And he asks them, Have you caught anything? And when they say they haven't, what does the man on the shore do? If you remember the first story of how Peter was first called, there was a man who asked to use his boat and then said, by the way, go out into deeper water and cast your net onto the other side. He hadn't caught anything all night. Cast your net on the other side and he, they, they fill their nets with fish. What does the man on the shore do at the end of this Jesus Peter story? Well, he tells him, throw the net over the other side of the boat. And what, what happens? He catches nothing. That's a joke. <laughs> I should read your Bible. It's really good. Um, he throws the net over the side of the boat and they bring in a miraculous catch of fish. So it's in that moment Jesus is revealing himself to Peter just as he did at the beginning. He's doing it again so that Peter might see again that this is Jesus Risen from the dead. Of course, um, they catch a whole bunch of fish, just like at the beginning. But this time, Peter has been on the adventure. He's glimpsed who he might be. And so, in that moment, the first time round, when he sees Jesus and the miracle, Peter bows at his feet and says, Go away from me, for I am not worthy. That's like the old Peter thinking, I'm not good enough for this. The new Peter who has been on the adventure, when he sees the miracle this time, he doesn't bow down and say, go away or tell Jesus to leave him. He puts his tunic on because he'd been working. He jumps into the water and swims straight to Jesus. He leaves all the other fishermen to pick up the fish and he says, I'm going to Jesus. And what does Jesus do on the shore? After Peter's denied him three times, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? When he replies yes, he said, Then feed my sheep. He's restoring Peter to to his essence, to who Peter was truly created and called to be, a fisher of men. Go and feed my sheep. Don't be messing about with the boat, your old self. See your essence and, and do that. And then you might remember in the book of Acts, who is it that preaches on the day of Pentecost? It's Peter. He's become the fisher of men. And 3,000 come to Jesus. That's next week. That's the elixir of life. This week, you might encounter a low point. In your life but your low point is not your end point darkness is not defeat when you hit your low point that ordinary world the old you will call to you and tempt you to come back to be what you used to be and you will retreat back into your identity but there is a person who's calling you and reminding you of your essence There is a Jesus on the shore who wants to tell you who you really are. And if you would listen and turn your ear to heaven, listen to the good characters around you. Don't listen to that nemesis. Listen to the good characters around you. They'll remind you of your essence and remind you of who you are. Why don't we stand together? You know, some of you may not be in a low point right now. Some of you may find that you can see others in a low point. I recently uh, was talking to somebody who I could see, man, they've, they're low. And so I started, you know, thinking about what kind of characters come around the hero in a time of trouble. And it's not the mentor, interestingly enough. So it's not about coming and giving somebody all the wise advice so that they can fix themselves up what does somebody need in their lowest point what they need is someone to come and show them who they were created to be reflect back to them their essence and so i was talking to this person and giving them all kinds of great advice and i just got this sense that advice is not what they needed. Mostly because they said to me, advice is not what I need. Um, So it was helpful. But maybe you could be that reflection character to somebody in your world. Maybe it's somebody else who's hit rock bottom. In our role, I believe, if we're to be Jesus to those people, it's to show them who they're called to be reflect back to them their essence talk to them about the brilliance that's on the inside of them if they would just face their fear walk through it and we'll walk through it with them then they can become a new person I want to pray for you here this morning would you just close your eyes so that we can Turn our eyes, our inward eyes to heaven. There may be some of you here that feel like you are facing your lowest of lows. So Father, right now, I ask that you would speak to every person here. Holy Spirit, show us who we really are. Show us who you have created us to be remind us of our essence remind us of the truth of who we are on the inside Lord I pray that you would give us courage courage to face our fears courage to face um, our difficulties and Lord I pray that as we walk through every difficult circumstance we would remember this is not the end There is hope. There is hope in you. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing that new song. One more time, raise a hallelujah. Before we do that, I want to ask if there's anybody here or if there's anybody online and you have never actually asked Jesus to come into your life, if you've never accepted Him, if you've never decided to follow Him like Peter did, I wanna give you the opportunity to make that conscious decision this morning and set your life on the road with Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask, while everybody's eyes are still closed, if you're here or online and you wanna do that, you wanna ask Jesus into your heart, would you raise your hand right now here or in the chat? And one of our team's gonna pray with you and we're gonna set you on that path and help you follow him.